Hello and thank you for joining us in this edition of our podcast series, Battleground Ohio, assessing the 2016 presidential election. I'm Steve Kendall, we're coming to you from the studios of WBGU-TV Public Television. And our focus today is foreign policy on the campaign trail. Foreign policy does not usually decide U.S. elections, but this year, trade deals, immigration, a wall at the Mexican border, terrorism, other issues have been figuring prominently in the campaigns. So is this a rare year when foreign policy may actually make a difference? We explore this topic today with two members of the political science department at BGSU, Dr. Mark Simone and Dr. Neil Engelhart. So, gentlemen, what are the main issues that concern voters during this 2016 election? Well, so normally foreign policy is not a very uh, important issue in elections. It usually surfaces as an issue, but definitely a, a secondary kind of issue. This year is a little bit different. Um, so in 2008 and, tw and 2012, the economy was really the dominant issue, and foreign affairs uh, didn't usually even rank among the top five, uh, according to the Pew Research Center polling. Um, this year, 2016, things are quite different. The economy is still the number one issue. About 84% of voters say that they consider that very important to their vote in the fall. But um, terrorism comes second at 80%, so that's extraordinarily high. And then the third ranking issued around 75% is generic foreign policy. So this is, really is quite exceptional. Huh. Um, and I think it, it has to do perhaps in part with the way um, the candidates have uh, framed themselves, right? So Donald Trump rose to prominence uh, in the Republican primary by talking about immigration a lot, build mm -hmm. the wall, and Hillary Clinton, of course, one of her many uh, accomplishments in office, but one of the most important ones recently has been as Secretary of State. So foreign policy has been a significant mm -hmm. strength for her. Now, when we, uh, when we look at that, and, and you mentioned the fact that it is unusual, it seems that in a lot of elections, foreign policy isn't a big topic because both parties tend to have generally the same approach to things, uh, you know, a lot in common. So this year, is that also different? Are there dramatic differences or differences between the two parties' approach to the various foreign policy issues? Well, yes, there are, and there's, there, we've got lots of issues we can talk about where there's pretty stark differences. I would say more between the candidates than the parties. Okay. Um, so we wanted to, uh, I guess we should hit uh, terrorism and ISIS mm -hmm. first. Right. And, um, you know, the Trump position is that, you know, the U.S. really needs to focus on ISIS, and he's, he's made a lot of general statements about bombing the heck out of them and things like this. So he wants to take a much more aggressive approach to stopping terrorism, and that would include uh, his immigration policy because that seems to be part of what's driving his desire to keep uh, terrorists out of the country. Yeah, um, I, I agree. I think that the, the candidates have much more daylight between them in terms of foreign policy than is usually the case. Um, so, you know, with respect to ISIS, actually, if you look at the, the platforms that they've published, if you look at their websites, the, the discussion of actual policy towards ISIS looks very similar on the two websites, but the way the mm -hmm. candidates have talked about it is, is a little bit different. Mm -hmm. um, so Trump seems to be um, advocating much, much more aerial bombardment 
Clinton seems to be uh, advocating a more kind of targeted approach, trying to decapitate the leadership. And for her, that's partly a talking point because she can bring in um, the killing of Osama bin Laden, mm -hmm. which is something is, that is, uh, uh, it it partly to her credit. Right. Um, the, the thing about the domestic terrorism angle, though, that I think both candidates are ignoring, uh, but is quite important, is that what we're seeing in terms of the increased terrorism in the, uh, in the United States and in Europe that's linked to ISIS is actually a direct product of the success of the aerial bombardment campaign mm. that the Obama administration is already carrying out. Um, ISIS has lost a lot of territory in Iraq and Syria. It, even as we speak, the Iraqi army is um, trying mm -hmm. to retake mm -hmm. Mosul. We'll see if that works or not. But if it does, that's mm -hmm. going to be an enormous blow to the Islamic State. Mm -hmm. And they have this apocalyptic ideology that suggests that they're bringing in the end times, that they're these mm -hmm. agents of God. And if it looks like they're losing, that's bad for them. One way they can maintain this sense of momentum is by uh, claiming terrorist attacks in other, other countries. Ah, okay. So in essence, yeah. So on one hand, the, the policy that is in place has basically pushed them to find other areas where they can they can still say, oh look, yes, we did this over here. Right. Yeah. Right. And don't pay no attention to the fact that we're losing in our in our homeland, basically. Well, and it's also a big recruitment mm -hmm. tool for them. Mm -hmm. I mean. I right. think the focus on Europe is that um, they feel there's a lot of potentially radicalized immigrants mm -hmm. in Europe who, uh, if they can get the, the old strategy of provocation going, mm -hmm. you commit a terrorist attack and then you encourage the European governments to overreact and repress all Muslims, yeah. that might bring some more fighters for, the, for ISIS mm -hmm. back into the Middle East. Okay. Now, when we uh, tie it into that, and anyway, you, you talked about it a little, both of you earlier, is the fact that uh, one of the platform, one of the pieces of Donald Trump's po foreign policy is immigration, and came out early in the primaries talking about basically not allowing any more Muslims, period, into the country. Um, when it comes to immigration, how do the two candidates differentiate themselves? Well, it's pretty stark. Okay. Um, I would, uh, I guess we'll, we'll start with Trump because it's, he's uh, made it a cornerstone of his campaign. I mean, the beginning was, you know, we're going to build a wall and Mexico's going to pay for it. Right. Um, he's talked about mass deportation of the 11 million undocumented, mm -hmm. uh, although the means of doing that has changed a little bit over mm -hmm. time. Um, he wants to triple the number of immigration and customs enforcement officers. Um, he wants to uh, cut funds to any sanctuary cities that might be protecting immigrants. And uh, he's talked about, after I think San Bernardino, the idea that we need to ban Muslims coming into the country. He's since backed off of that and right. talked about mm -hmm. uh, we need to look at where the people are coming from and if they're coming mm -hmm. from areas where terrorism is a problem, then we need to really uh, stop those people from coming mm -hmm. in. Um, and have either some sort of massively increased vetting or just uh, mm -hmm. stop it altogether until we can figure out what's going on. Um, Clinton's policy is similar to Obama's, which I think it's important to, to note that uh, Obama has done most of his uh, immigration policy by executive order. And indeed, one of those was actually um, overturned in the, in the Supreme Court. So. He hasn't been able to guarantee um, the, I guess, protection from detention for about half of the undocumented workers that are in the country. Um,
Clinton does support a path to citizenship. She wants to be able to have, have immigrants get health insurance. Um, she talks about, you know, this sort of comprehensive immigration reform. But, um, you know, at the same time, she's also, uh, and, and I think politically has to be, um, you know, in favor of deporting violent criminals. Sure. And mm -hmm. in fact, even in 2014, she supported uh, the deportation of, I don't know if you remember, there was a bunch of uh, children coming from Central America ah. piled mm -hmm. up on the border, and she supported deportation of that. Right. On the other hand, she's co-sponsored the DREAM Act, so she believes that children of immigrants that are already here should have a path to citizenship. Right. So um, uh, I guess then the last point I would make is that you know, the Obama administration has been really tough on enforcement and has actually increased the number of deportations oh. <laughs> over time uh, from the Bush years uh, quite significantly, even though we're actually getting fewer immigrants coming to the U.S., both legally and illegally. Yeah, which, which wouldn't be the perception people would probably have, I'm guessing, because they, given the rhetoric surrounding the issue on all sides. Right, right. Yeah. I think. Uh, I don't know if Trump has portrayed it this way, but um, you know, with 11 million undocumented here, mm -hmm. there hasn't been really much uh, acknowledgement of the fact that the numbers of people coming in are fewer mm -hmm. overall. Um, one last point on immigration mm -hmm. is that um, Clinton would take in Syrian refugees. She's talked mm -hmm. about 65,000 or so, right. whereas Trump would not do that because potentially there could be terrorists. Yeah. Now, part of foreign policy, and it, it, although it's, it's, it's economically driven, is international trade, free trade, open markets, whatever, you, however you want to define that. Uh, when we look at that aspect of foreign policy, Neil, what, what's, what's the differentiation, or how do the two candidates approach uh, that economic part of, of, of foreign policy, which is international trade? It's a global market. Yeah, so um, Clinton has a long history of um, supporting free trade deals, mm -hmm. um, and Trump obviously has been very aggressive in his rhetoric um, against them. Both of them have come out against the Trans-Pacific Partnership as written, um, mm -hmm. Clinton claiming that the final product was not something she liked, even mm -hmm. though earlier she supported an earlier draft of it. Um, she has a, a hard time, I think, um, making this argument because of her history of support, though, for free trade in general. Um, with Trump, there's no record, so it's hard to know how real the rhetoric is going to be. Um, I think, however, that there's a deeper issue here that makes it unlikely that we're really going to see that much difference in policy on trade post-election. Um, and the reason is this. The debate is conducted almost entirely in terms of lost manufacturing and lost jobs. Right. And what, it, what nobody is talking about, what has been completely ignored, is that main benefit of free trade to the United States, mm -hmm. which is much lower costs for consumers. Ah. So all of that cheap stuff that you can buy at Walmart, if mm -hmm. you know, we start erecting trade barriers, other countries will begin to erect trade barriers also. Mm -hmm. That's going to raise prices for consumers. There are more consumers in this country mm -hmm. than there are, there are manufacturers or even workers. Right? Uh, Everyone's a consumer, so, mm -hmm. and many of those consumers vote. And so nobody's going to want to be the president who single-handedly triggered consumer <laughs> price inflation <laughs> through bad decisions on right. trade. So, you know, rhetorically, yeah, they're different. In practice, would there be a difference mm -hmm. once they're in office? I, I'm skeptical. All right. Well, and, and part of it is, too, the president doesn't necessarily control all of that. Anyhow, he has to deal with Congress on a lot of policies, unless he goes executive order. But 
The reality is it isn't one person who can say, yes, we're doing this or we're not when it comes to trading with another country, really. Well, there, there actually is some freedom of action mm -hmm. because they okay. do have the, the Office of the U.S. Trade Representative, ah, okay. and they can, uh, for instance, Trump could use that uh, to uh, claim that mm -hmm. China's a currency manipulator yeah. and trigger mm -hmm. the possibility of, of invoking sanctions. They would need Congress to go along with the actual sanctions invoked, but mm -hmm. um, there's a lot he could do. He could try to reopen the NAFTA negotiations or something uh, like that. I mean, it's conceivable. Mm -hmm. uh, the president actually has a lot of leeway on trade. Uh, okay. Um, more than, more than, than most people, most than I would think or most people would probably think. Huh? Yeah. yeah. The, although with respect to the Chinese currency, mm -hmm. it, was, it has historically been true that they've been very aggressive at manipulating mm -hmm. their currency. They've actually moved towards a partial float of their currency in mm -hmm. recent years. So actually that argument now is not as sound as it was several years ago. Mm -hmm. yeah. and, and when we talk about, and you're right, it's, it's posited mainly around manufacturing being moved to other countries offshore, however, looking at that. But technology-wise, I know when, when you talk to other people, they say that even if you brought all of those companies back, all of those factories, the technology means you still wouldn't employ as many right. people as you did in the past. So there would be Yes. Maybe some gain, but not the huge gain that other people think. So, uh, and 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 uh, we mentioned this earlier uh, when it comes to dealing with foreign policy with regard to terrorism and and to some degree immigration. Syria has come up as a discussion point and how we should or not should not be involved over there. So let's talk a little bit about about Syria, Mark. Okay. Well, the Syrian civil war is a complex thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, what we're seeing in the media these days is a lot of media coverage about the siege of Aleppo. Mm -hmm. And the problem with the Syrian civil war is that you've got lots of foreign powers that have intervened. Right. Um, both on the government side, you've got the Russians supporting mm -hmm. the Assad government and the Iranians and Hezbollah, mm -hmm. right? And then on I guess the, the United States motive has been to try to stay out of any kind of ground force commitment mm -hmm. to Syria, right. but also attacking Islamic State and sort of uh, Al-Qaeda groups that are among the rebels fighting Assad, right? Uh, mm -hmm. So the, the problem that this creates is, and we know from research that anytime you get foreign intervention into civil war, mm -hmm. you tend to prolong the conflict and increase the number of deaths. Um, mm. And it's, it's a similar situation in Yemen as well. I mean, it's basically the same set of people minus the Russians uh, fighting mm. in that civil war. And so, you know, civilian deaths have gotten very high. Um, and what happens is in, in Syria, you've got this sort of uh, social media driven, I think, uh, sense that the people that are stuck in the rebel hell area of Aleppo are under siege, being bombed by Russians and mm -hmm. Syrians and that there could be massive deaths if that continues. Uh, mm. So there's a question of will there be uh, an effort to do some kind of humanitarian intervention to kind of protect those civilians. That's something that Hillary Clinton has been generally in favor of uh, in the past. I mean, she, she really advocated for intervention in Libya to protect civilians, which ended up resulting in the fall of Gaddafi. Um, uh, that's, that seems to be something she's been in favor of. But the options in Syria are so limited because right. if you get ground forces involved or even if you, you know, had a U.S. air campaign to create safe zones someplace, mm -hmm. the problem is you could run into uh, fighting Russian jets or Russian troops. And once you have the U.S. and Russia yeah. on opposite sides. Yeah, actually in a confrontation. Yeah, that, that mm. creates a lot of problems. <laughs> so, you know, what the U.S. has been trying to do is 
-hmm. either get Russia to agree to a ceasefire um, against places like Aleppo and focus on ISIS with mm -hmm. the U.S., or just uh, get some kind of a ceasefire in toto. And, and they're, they're pushing the same idea in Yemen right now because of a uh, recent Saudi attack that killed lots of civilians. Right. There's a sense, again, that, I mean, the, the way that you, you deal with civil wars, essentially, is to get some kind of a ceasefire and get, get sides to start talking about yeah. political settlements. Yeah. Um, the problem in Syria is that the U.S. administration, and Clinton has been part of this, mm -hmm. has said early on that they wanted Assad gone. And it looks the, the the military balance is such with Assad having Russian support that he's not going to be defeated on the, on the battlefield. Appears, yeah. So hmm. what you have to do is figure out some kind of transitional government hmm. that would allow Assad to stay on for a while yeah. uh, while stopping the fighting. Yeah. But be honest, uh, it doesn't look like the fighting's going to stop anytime soon in Syria. I think yeah. this could go drag on for you know, five or ten more years, potentially. Yeah, yeah. And, and of course then with the potential that, yeah, should we become involved in a different way than we are right now, that yes, then you now yeah. have Russian and U.S. forces facing off against right. each other either accidentally, which is probably right. the worst case scenario as opposed to that, so. Well, uh, and yeah. just to mm -hmm. kind of follow mm -hmm. up on yeah. with Trump, he doesn't really seem to care as much about hmm. uh, the Syrian issue as far as Assad goes. He just wants, uh, Russia, whoever, to fight ISIS, and yeah. he's 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 kind of joint would mm -hmm. be willing to join forces. I think both sides, though, would be very reluctant to put any more ground troops on uh, sure. in, in the the uh, region. Yeah, and, and and we've sort of been not pulling away, but we have we've been reluctant to increase our ground force presence anywhere in the world, really, especially in those areas like the uh, Syria, the Middle East, um, Ukraine, and all that sort of thing. So. Uh, and, and we mentioned, you know, that Hillary Clinton's been part of the Obama, or at least when she was Secretary of State, part of the Obama policy team. What are some of President Obama's signature foreign policy accomplishments, and could those be affected by the election, and uh, would that happen regardless of whether Clinton or Trump win? So Obama's foreign policy legacy as it stands right now, where, do we, where are we on that right now? Well, um, there's, so, there's a lot of policies sort of mm -hmm. at stake here. I think... Uh, one is the Iranian nuclear deal, which Trump really opposes, mm -hmm. um, thinks it was, uh, you know, s sort of a sellout to Iran and is, has uh -huh. um, given them more legitimacy, removed sanctions, made them more powerful. Mm -hmm. He would, he would want to scrap that deal somehow. Uh -huh. Now, of course, that was a deal negotiated with six other countries in addition to Iran, mm -hmm. so it's, it's not not something that uh, the United States alone could kind of work Just its way out Unilaterally of. say, yeah, yeah change. Mm -hmm. Whereas Clinton takes a lot of pride in saying mm -hmm. she organized the sanctions against Iran that brought them to the table and that the nuclear deal is working mm -hmm. and it has, um, ke it will keep Iran from getting a nuclear weapon for at least a decade, maybe more. Yeah. Uh, and so far the evidence shows that Iran is abiding by the deal. So. Mm -hmm. It, it is working pretty well. Right. And, and the U.S. policy with regard to nuclear, not say proliferation, which is an old term for it, uh, as the, the typical U.S. policy has been not to allow any other country to have nuclear weapons, and yet to some degree, I think Donald Trump has mentioned that maybe Saudi Arabia, at least in passing in one of his uh, statements, talked about Saudi Arabia, maybe they should have nuclear capability and that sort of thing, which again changes the whole dynamic of, the, of that discussion. Right. Well, that's one of the yeah. main reasons why mm -hmm. the U.S. and a lot of other countries, mm -hmm. Russia, 
Germany, yeah. France, Britain, mm -hmm. did not want Iran to get nuclear weapons. Yeah. Because if Iran gets nuclear weapons, then, then the Saudis and the Egyptians might want to get them too. Right. And uh, this is all for Trump. Um, mm -hmm. He seems to have this, this sense that uh, wealthy countries should defend themselves. This mm -hmm. kind of goes back to his criticisms in NATO. That, you know, mm -hmm. if countries aren't paying or they're wealthy enough to defend themselves, and this would include Japan and South Korea, right. that the U.S. should maybe pull back from these uh, defense commitments that have been going on since the end of World War II. Um, and, you know, t he's even, you know, raised the specter of uh, not actually defending a NATO member if they aren't paying their 2% of GDP toward uh, to the defense. Towards NATO def yeah. Right? Hmm. Um, that's something that uh, Clinton really objects to, and I think a lot of scholars would too, is the way alliances work. I mean, the whole issue yeah. is, if one of us is attacked, will all the rest come to their defense? Right. And if you start raising questions about the credibility of that commitment, mm -hmm. then it undermines the whole alliance. Yeah. Yeah. And Clinton really emphasizes the need to work with allies, especially to fight ISIS hmm. and terrorism, um, but also to resist uh, Russian ish, Russian threats sure. that have been mounting in recent years, yeah. and, and if you look at that, I guess too, uh, because the U.S. has projected its its power around the world, and there is some, I guess, value in that in terms of being able to then be involved in the discussions wherever. And if you if you pull back from that or say, well, we're not going to look at Japan or Korea or South Korea or whatever, you lose influence in that point too. I would assume getting back into the discussion probably becomes a little more problematic. Uh, but it, it is it is one of the points of discussion to either project power or not and how you go about doing that. So uh, Trump has some yeah. uh, interesting mm -hmm. yeah. uh, issues there because on the one hand he does talk about mm. um, expanding the U.S. military defenses, adding significant numbers of troops and naval vessels, mm -hmm. and you know putting more of a U.S. presence out in the South China Sea to resist China. Right. But you know, if you do that and you're at the same time cutting ties with your allies, South Korea and Japan, that would leave the U.S. more vulnerable. Ah. So it's not clear hmm. to me what Trump's actual strategy is, if he's trying to become more isolationist in a sense by pulling out of alliance commitments, or if he wants the U.S. to become more aggressive internationally uh, with regard to ISIS and China. And maybe that's just a case of we're not going to let everybody else know what our plan is, and so we, we hold that information closer or something. Uh, Asia's now come up with China and the South China Sea, and, and uh, one of the things which gets into foreign policy again is trade and the, the what's called the Asia pivot. So, uh, mm -hmm. Neil, talk a little bit about what, what that factor might be in this election and how both parties or both candidates are, are looking at that. Right, so I think the first thing to note about the pivot to Asia is mm -hmm. that um, Although this was sort of widely um, publicized by the Obama administration that they were going to try to do this, they keep getting dragged back to the Middle East. The focus mm. keeps getting diverted. So, you know, in that context, you have to uh, sort of take the pivot to Asia mm. for what it's worth there. Um, Clinton did actually write the original foreign policy article, the journal foreign policy article um, that articulated the, the pivot to Asia. And so she seems to be on board in that sense. While she was Secretary of State, she did this. Mm -hmm. um, there's another way in which I think it's a strategic necessity for the United States to make that move eventually anyhow. Our two biggest trade partners are in Asia, China and Japan. Two-thirds of the world's population lives there. Um, and so, you know, it's going to eventually have to be a f 
mm -hmm. a major focus of U.S. policy. Um, that said, if you look at Clinton's website um, and you look at what she's saying about Middle East, the very first, uh, I'm sorry, if you look at what she's saying about foreign policy, the very first thing there, the first paragraph says um, that she's concerned with Israel, with Palestine, and Iraq is also mentioned in the first mm. paragraph. You have to go pretty far down to start seeing Asian countries. Um, the other thing is that even if Clinton does maintain or try to maintain this, uh, the Obama pivot to Asia, it's likely to have a different character um, because Clinton is notably more hawkish than mm -hmm. Obama in general. Ah, so, okay. um, you know, with Obama, for instance, there's been this whole dispute about China's activities in the South China Sea, mm -hmm. uh, their territorial claims overlapping the territorial claims of many other countries, and okay. China trying to turn these reefs into islands into by islands. dredging mm -hmm. sand and putting military bases yeah. on them. Yeah. Um, the, the Obama administration has really tried to let um, the neighboring countries deal with this. So uh, the, the Philippines case at the Law of the Sea Tribunal, which China lost very badly, for instance, mm -hmm. is an example of this. The Obama administration let the Filipinos go ahead with that, um, but also let the tribunal run its course. And they ended mm -hmm. up with a decision that was very good for the U.S., even though the U.S. wasn't one of the parties, because it puts China in a weakened position. Uh, mm -hmm. um, I think with Clinton, you might see more kind of military like a more of a show of force or a display exactly. of Exactly. So in ah, in, mm -hmm. in uh, the North China Sea, China has been um, running what they call an identification zone. They've been forcing vessels and aircraft to ah. that enter it to, to identify themselves as if it were Chinese territorial waters. Mm -hmm. And the U.S. has been more aggressive about challenging that with flyovers and surveillance ah. aircraft and so on. I think under Clinton administration, you might see more of that in the South China Sea as well. And that's potentially more explosive because there are so many more countries involved. Mm -hmm. I think you're right that Clinton is a real advocate of coercive diplomacy, mm -hmm. yeah. that she believes in diplomacy and she thinks that's a key part of foreign policy, a key strategy, right. but she really likes to back it up with threats with a of force. More, with, yeah, with some display right. of, yeah, by the way, we do have all these aircraft carriers and things, and we might just drive them through your neighborhood right. occasionally to let you know that we do have them kind of a thing. And I think yeah. North Korea is a place where you might see more aggressive mm. foreign policy by a Clinton administration right. than you've seen under an Obama yeah. administration. Yeah. Now, uh, one of the things, it's, 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 it's a global issue, and it, it gets talked about a little bit, but uh, is, is important, and, and the U.S. has been heavily involved in this too, uh, is climate change, because that's, that's a foreign policy issue because it affects everybody on the globe, and there have been agreements and different kinds of, uh, you know, uh, discussions about that involving all of the countries. So how does climate change factor into this, this whole foreign policy discussion this year? Well, I think that's an area where the differences are so stark that maybe that's part of the reason we haven't heard a lot of discussion about climate change. I don't think there's been a single debate question about mm -hmm. climate change so far. Yeah. And it's not something the candidates are talking about a lot. Uh, Clinton has some to, to point out the differences, right? Mm -hmm. But um, you know, from what we can tell, Clinton's very supportive of the Paris Climate Agreement. Right. Um, there was another recent agreement just this last week um, on uh, hydrofluorocarbons to try to phase those out, and that's mm -hmm. something the U.S. supported and I think Clinton would support. Haven't heard anything from Trump on that yet, but it's only right. been a week. Mm -hmm. um, Trump has has some quotes that indicate that, you know, uh, 
he views climate change as a hoax perpetrated by China to somehow take advantage of us in trade. Um, and I don't know that his, his position has gotten more nuanced on that, but uh, in terms of energy policy, you know, Trump is, you know, he said he would pull out of the Paris Agreement and that he would promote um, lots more coal and mm -hmm. drilling for fossil fuels. He's in favor of the Keystone Pipeline where Clinton opposes that. He supports drilling in the Arctic where Clinton opposes that. Oh. So we've got pretty polar opposite positions on yeah. this. And that tr uh, Clinton thinks that climate change is a big deal and that she wants to work with the international mm -hmm. community to, to, to address it um, and wants to support renewable energy in, in a comprehensive energy policy, whereas Trump is skeptical of that and wants to save coal jobs. He's really talking a lot about coal. Right. Um, and, and that's reflected in the, in the polling in states where coal is a, is a large industry. Right. Yeah. right. Although, of course, the, yeah. the real problem the coal industry have, it has is natural gas. It's, it's really okay. not climate change. Natural gas yeah. has dropped coal prices. So. Right. So it's made it, made it be much more, yeah, much more beneficial to yeah. use natural gas than coal. So, yeah, so yeah. this is another case mm -hmm. where the, the campaign rhetoric is a little bit out of step so with, with reality. With reality. Right. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And even in Ohio, you know, there's, it, it's, a, mm -hmm. I think, the 10th largest coal producing state, but yeah, there's yeah. only something like 2,900 workers that mm -hmm. actually mine coal in Ohio. Yeah. And that's been dropping for years because of the competition from natural gas and other sources. Yeah. So in one way, the, the effect of coal, which we know is over, has been mitigated over the years environmentally, that's not really what's driving the reduction in the demand for coal, it's more right. the economics that are driving right. that. And, and about, uh, with respect to the Paris Agreement, I mean, one of the, the ironies of Trump saying he's going to pull out of it is that the targets in the Paris Agreement are actually voluntary targets set by each country. So, so a Trump administration could just change the target say, if it wanted to. Never mind. And right. Yeah. Oh, right. Interesting. So when we get, after going through all of those, all of those uh, very important points, um, do we know ultimately how how foreign policy will affect this election? I mean, what do we what do we think will happen with regard to that? Will it be a key factor, or, uh, or will some of these be more important factors than others when it comes to foreign policy? What do we think? Well, I think as mm -hmm. uh, others have pointed out, that character issues and things mm -hmm. are going to dominate. Right. Um, I don't know that mm -hmm. foreign policy will be the reason people give for their vote mm -hmm. in, in large numbers, but. As Neil pointed out, it is an important problem that people care about. And as we've tried to illustrate here, there's really stark differences between the candidates on foreign mm -hmm. policy issues. So I think that could be important. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing that we could you know, wonder about is whether or not there'll be some incident, especially a terrorist attack, that might happen in the next couple of weeks ah. between now and the election. Now, of course, early voting's already started, and that it might have minor effects. Mm -hmm. but one of the things that's interesting is, again, for, for um, ISIS uh, and Al-Qaeda, you know, their strategy really would benefit from a Trump approach to uh, mm -hmm. um, foreign policy against terrorism. Uh -huh. uh, they want countries to crack down. Their ideology says there is a war mm -hmm. by the West yeah. against Islam, and to the extent that you know, the United States would adopt a policy that would feed into their ideology, uh, it would, would help a, their recruitment. Hmm. So ISIS actually has some incentive to have some kind of terrorist to, attack in the U.S. in the next yeah. couple of weeks. Now, hmm. whether they can accomplish that is another mm -hmm. story. Um, I haven't right. been very impressed with the recent attacks in mm -hmm. New York and New Jersey. 
So it's, I don't feel that there's lots of sleepers out there waiting to attack. But right. then again, with terrorism, it only takes one person. One, one, yeah, one event and, and, mm -hmm. and the scope. So yeah. And, yeah. and, and um, if, even if there were an attack, I think it's a little unclear who would benefit more. Because there mm -hmm. is some recent polling suggesting that in, in a historic turn, really, um, in this election, most people are actually um, favoring Hillary Clinton on foreign mm -hmm. policy issues over Trump. Mm -hmm. And that's a kind of double reversal. One is that traditionally Republicans right. have had a lock mm -hmm. on the national security issue. And the other one is that traditionally women have not been viewed as, as strong. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, it, it, mm -hmm. even if that were to happen, it's not actually clear which candidate might benefit more from that. The other thing I would just say, mm -hmm. just to finish sure. up, mm -hmm. is that one of the things that's really struck me about both candidates in this election is this a very realist turn in mm -hmm. foreign policy. You're not hearing candidates talk about spreading freedom and democracy uh, as you would have in the last several election point. cycles. Yeah, um, now it's all about security and it's a very realist view mm -hmm. of security and they're talking a lot about the military and they're not talking about we're going to spread yeah. democracy because democracy is, is better for the U.S. Interesting point. Yeah, good. Well, uh, Neil Englehart, Mark Simone, thank you so much. Department of Political Science at Bowling Green State University. Be sure and join us again for the next edition of our podcast coming to you from Bowling Green State University. We'll see you again next time.